welcome to the seventh episode of the Last Word on Senators podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Uh, today, I have a great Calgary Flames preview coming up with Carl Landra of the Fourth Line podcast. Um, but first, I want to just touch on a couple things, uh, including two Ottawa Senators traits that were made. Um, I'll probably give my thoughts on it later in the year, too, but just uh, kind of my instant reaction, what I think of the, the trades, you know, uh, the players and everything like that. Um, but very first of all, I want to say thank you for all the love online. Uh, we passed... 200 Twitter followers the other day. Uh, we got a huge boom of people that, you know, um, were just so kind with their words and everything. It means a lot to see, you know, people actually appreciating, you know, the hard work that goes in this podcast and everything else. Um, so if you want to follow the the tw- account on Twitter, it's at last word on sends. You can also follow my personal one at NHL sends and stuff as we're getting close to 1000 on that. So, um, Again, thank you everyone for the kind words. It means a lot. I, I'm really glad people are enjoying this. Uh, I'm having a ton of fun doing it and interviewing people. Um, and again, if there's anyone you want to hear on the podcast, let me know. Uh, I, I'm always open to you know trying to get more voices on here, uh, whether they agree with me or not. That's that's one of the things I, I really wanted to to try and focus on is finding you know people who who think different ways and see the game differently. So. Um, as I, I almost wish I had someone on the trade uh, for me to do this because, you know, I, I definitely know I had a lot of back and forth online about it this week. Um, let's start with the first trade, the, the Ottawa uh, Senators trade uh, second round pick uh, to the Arizona Coyotes for Derek Stepan. Uh, Stepan has one more year at 6.5 mil on the books and a lot less than that in salary. I think it's closer to 1.5. Um, this is a pretty Ottawa contract to pick up. Uh, it helps the Coyotes a lot because uh, the Coyotes were three million over the cap. They now have three million in space. Um, I, I gotta say, this is a frustrating move. I think from Ottawa's standpoint, um, Stepan uh, he seems like a good guy. Uh, he had a great interview on TSN yesterday. Uh, I'm recording this right now on Wednesday. Uh, yeah, TSN 1200, a great interview with Stepan. Uh, you know, but one of the things he touched on, and there, there's two things I really don't like about this trade, and and one, one of the things he touched on is he's great, you know, helping young guys grow. Well, we'll get into the second trade in a second, but it's getting to the point where there's almost so many people here that there's not young guys to actually grow. Like, uh, I think a pessimistic look at the roster on opening night will have two rookies, Batherson and Stutzel in it, and three guys under 22 total, because Kachuk, uh, Kachuk, I believe, is 21. Um, other than that, there could be no one. Um, you know, um, an optimistic look is probably Norris and Brown in it, and a realistic look might be one of them. So maximum, we might have three rookies in the lineup and four under 22 players. Uh, I just, it's getting to the point where they're getting so many bodies. I I worry about, uh, when we're actually going to see these guys play, because again, I've mentioned a couple times, this is the year I really think for some of the guys, you should want to see them play because, uh, it is so important to know if in Logan Brown you have a 2C, a 3C, a 4C, you know, probably not a 1C, but just kind of knowing where you can expect to slot him in this year, and even if you can expect any growth going forward is going to be so key, and the idea that, you know, these guys might not get the time to do that is a, a little concerning, and um, some people are going to point out that there'll be lots of time after the trade deadline, and... I kind of agree, but at the same time, I don't, because I think there's only going to be 15 to 20 games after this year's trade deadline, and I really don't think that's enough to uh, give a good enough sample about what you're doing. I think that even a 56-game sample, you know, not ideal as an 82, but at least you got 56 or 50 games or so to work with. Um, so that, that, that's the first part of my problem is um, they keep bringing in bodies, and it feels like there's just going to be a glut of 
reclamation projects and veterans that aren't very good, and, and I kind of wonder if this team thinks they're better than they are. Um, the, the biggest problem I have with the Stepan trade, though, is is not Stepan. I mean, I, I don't think he's a great player. I think he'll probably, his points will get a little bit of a boost because he's on Ottawa's, probably going to play Ottawa's first line and power play, I would guess. Um, but everything analytically has shown that he's not a great play driver, uh, especially on offense, you know. Most models have him as a third or, you know, a lot of them as a fourth line player. Um, I know, I believe it was hockey vids that said he just, he doesn't draw play, draw play anymore, you know, especially in the offensive zone. So, uh, I don't know if I see his points, you know, maybe his points boost, but I really don't know if they're flipping him for more than a second. And this is where my issue comes in. And yes, you can say you overrate draft picks, but I would much, I, I just, I don't understand how you have to give up a second round pick um, when a team is literally three million, three and a half million over the cap under two weeks before the season starts. You know, like the Arizona, Arizona Coyotes wanted to make this trade. They needed to make this trade. And um, they probably would have, I, I, well, maybe, I don't know. Obviously, I don't know. But it feels like this is the kind of trade that they would make even in a week or so for like a fifth or a sixth round pick. Like, I just, it, it shocked me that for this player on this big of a cap, cap hit who has not provided much in the past two years, uh, got a second round pick back. You know, like if we want to compare values, which always doesn't always work, but that was the value that they gave up for Matt Murray this offseason. You know, like, um, I'm trying to think of who else went for second-round picks this offseason. Like, there's a lot better players than uh, Derek Stepan that went. You know, even I feel like there was guys that auto-traded the deadline for seconds that are probably better than Derek Stepan. So, it's it's one of those things where it's like, I really don't understand, and it's been a couple times this year, but it's not a move that's going to kill your franchise by any means. I just, I think when you have a lot of them, they add up over an offseason, and... Ottawa seemed to have four or five of them this offseason where it's like, okay, but, like, why are we doing that? You know, it's the same with the good Branson stuff, the Watson stuff. It's like, it's not that you're acquiring the player that's necessarily bad. It's the fact that you are the one giving up the asset. Like, Anaheim couldn't jump quicker to get rid of good Branson because they went and used his four-mil cap hit to sign Kevin Shattenkirk, who's an infinitely better defenseman. He's a legitimate number two, whereas, again, there's a lot of argument where good Branson's not even on ice value. So, um... I, I don't know, like, I think I would be more, I would be much more okay if Ottawa spent their assets, you know, I think Ottawa's now spent a second, a fourth, and a fifth this offseason, um, if they would have spent some kind of that to go get, like, and I guess another second if you count Matt Murray, too, but, um, if they would have spent that kind of stuff to go get, like, uh, why am I blanking on who the New Jersey Devils picked up, um, and Andreas Janssen went from Toronto for a fringe NHLer. Like, I, I know we like Philip Chalapic, but, like, if Philip Chalapic's the cost for a guy who's on a three-year contract, who's a middle six forward, who's going to help your team, you know, for the foreseeable future, like, how do you not uh, pick that up, you know? And, so the, and the Devils did both. They they gave up uh, Andre, or they got Andreas Janssen, 3.4, three years, 26 years old. A solid guy who can slide up and down your lineup. He's got some speed. And then Ryan Murray's the other name. You know, he struggles to stay healthy, yes, but he's a legitimately good left-handed defenseman, 27 years old, 4.6 mil. Uh, the left hand kind of sucks. Um, you know, I'm not saying it need to be him specifically, but, like, a player like that I would have much rather them go see. And uh, Ryan Murray went for, I think, a third, and, and Janssen went for a fringe NHL or, like, a Chlapic or even a Rudolph Balsers or someone like that. So, um, you know, if, if they would have been using their picks or players to go 
pick up those guys who have positive on-ice value, I, I think I'd be more happy. But just, you know, the main thing with Ottawa this year is they've spent the most money and have probably added the least wins on an on-ice standpoint. And, um, you know, there's models that have come out that have Ottawa as a 5% chance of making playoffs. And again, like, I'd say even the problem with some of those is they can't judge rookie development because they have to use NHLE, which is very untrustworthy. But the problem is Ottawa's going to have maximum... I, I don't even think you can count... Ba- like, Batherson might be a rookie in the ro- record books, but I'm pretty sure they'll have data on Batherson to use. So there's one or two guys in this lineup, maybe three or four if you get Brown or Norris in, that you know, might make a legitimate difference. And just j- hoping that well, these one or two guys make an absolute difference is, is going to be... You know, like, I don't know, if this team actually thinks they're ready to compete this year, they're going to be in for a a, a big surprise, I think, because I really don't see it. Um, And and then the other trade was the Tampa Bay trade. Uh, They trade, uh, it was Gabrick and Nielsen's contracts to Tampa, um, LTIR relief pretty much for the the, the Lightning, and in return they get a second-rounder, Paquette and uh, Colburn. Um, this is, in a vacuum, this is a really good trade. I think this is one of the better ones they've made all offseason, if i got to be honest. Um, it makes all the sense in the world. People are mad that they helped Tampa out, but, uh, A, Tampa's not in their division. B, I don't think Ottawa really sees Tampa as their immediate threat for the next two or three years. So what, what Ottawa care? Um, they get a second-round pick, you know, um, and, and, but, uh, and they take on two bad contracts, um, you could argue they could get more, but I, I, I thought this was a really good trade. Um, I really, but the, the problem with this is this trade would have looked so much better if they didn't also pick up Gelchenyuk, if they didn't also pick up uh, uh, Good Branson and Watson and even Stepan, you know, like, and, you know, I'm not going to include Dadanov, but Dadanov's another name. Like, there's so many guys on this team. There's 14 forwards, seven defensemen, and two goalies. And that's without Balthers up there. That's without Schlappick up there. Um, you know, like, that's without Zub on the roster. Uh, branched him on the roster. You know, like, theoretically, there's, like, nine guys on the de- defensive side of things and 16 that, like, you know, they might want. And part of me um, says hopefully they put taxi squad guys on, but I, I, th- I feel like people are, are more encouraged by that than I am too. I, it sounds like Paquette is going to play a little bit. Colburn might play a little bit this year, and... And I just don't get that. Um, I, I would much rather see them just be full-time taxi squad guys, you know? Like, um, Branchdom's already ninth on this depth chart, and, and that is, again, like, some people don't seem to think that Branchdom is anywhere near NHL ready, and I don't understand why that's a thing. Um, hopefully he gets in past the deadline, but there's just a glut of defensemen. I don't see them moving three defensemen so that uh, Branchdom can get in here. I, I really don't. And I don't know, some people are like, well, the taxi squad will take care of things, but, like, Ottawa's already almost reached the upper limit on their taxi squad, it feels like, because they have so many bodies in here. And I just, I really don't trust the org not to want to play some of these guys they picked up, you know? Like, I don't think Elcheniak's sitting. I don't think, I don't think Paquette's going to sit every night. I, I hope Anisimov sits every night, but I don't know. Like, I really don't think he will. I don't think Austin Watson's going to sit most nights, so... Again, like, where are, you know, where are the rookies coming in, and what kind of roster is this? Because it, it's not a good one right now. Um, so I would say my issue with the Tampa trade is just, um, it, it it feels like, you know, the Tampa trade itself is great, but overall it feels like there's no plan here, and that's the most concerning thing to me. Um, it just kind of feels like they're doing whatever, and, uh, you know, I, I'm not usually against trying to get as many bodies as you can, but... 
at this point, it's like how many is too many, and it feels like they have approached too many. And the other thing I'll say about the Tampa trade, and this is not a knock on the Tampa trade, it's a knock on Dorian, is right away he made the Tampa trade, or he made why the Stepan trade looks so much worse. And I know people are talking about how they think it makes it look better. It makes it look worse. Because um, it shows exactly what you should have been doing with the Stepan trade. You you did the exact same thing with Tampa. You helped them out of huge cap trouble. Um, and yes, you, granted, you, you helped them out slightly more than you helped Arizona, but you helped Arizona a massive way, too. They have $3 million. They went inside Derek, uh, Derek Broussard right after, who, honestly, over the past two years hasn't been... I mean, he's been a, a step down from Stepan, but at a price of, I'm assuming, $1 or $2 million, is not that much of a step down, considering Stepan's really struggled, too, and Broussard found his game in uh, the aisle again yet last year. So, uh, again, you just, like, it, it proved right away that, like, why are you giving up a legitimate asset for this? And, again, people go, oh, you, you know, you, you value draft picks too much. Well, draft picks, in theory, allow you to go get actually good players, you know? So if they would have been spending the second on a guy who provides a bunch of on-ice value, I would be more happy. But I, I just, I really don't, for his price tag... And honestly, just other options that may have been available, I, I don't think he does that. And I don't know. Like, it's just one of those things where, yes, I get they're, they're a little weak at center, but I, I, I again, I'd rather see someone internally try to fill that because you want to know what you have this year. And, you know, obviously don't throw Logan Brown or Josh Norris to the Wolves or anything like that, but throw Anisimov up on your first... or throw Tierney on your first-line center. Tierney's a perfect guy to just sit there, play first-line center, and wait until the young guys are ready to come and hopefully take that role because, again, it's not like this team's going to be good. Uh, like, 56-game season, yes, anything can happen, but uh, this team's got to be ranked 7th, I think, on everyone. So, um, I don't know. That, that's my take on what happened this week. Uh, I'm excited to see, you know, uh, you know, it sounds like Stepan's a great guy and, and they really seem to be going for this character mold, so that's good, but uh, part of me also worries that there's literally no one to show character to, you know, like... Um, Maximum, you know, Norris isn't even on this forward roster right now. You know, they got Batherson, Brown, Stutzel, and Kachuk up here. Um, so I, I really, you know, like it's four guys, and I, I honestly, I don't even know, think I call Kachuk a kid anymore. He's he's twenty one, and I know Brown's older than him, but he hasn't played in the NHL at all. Kachuk's got two full seasons under his belt. His dad was a pro. His brother's a pro, uh, and everything he shows is that he's a pro. So. I just, I really don't know where the mentoring's coming in for all these guys if there's not even guys that they can mentor, and, and that's my biggest concern long-term, and, and also just, like, guys like Formanton are going to want a shot next year, you know, Thompson, JBD, uh, Sanderson are, you know, maybe they're two years away, but uh, there's going to be more guys that are pushing next year, you know, like, uh, you know, Ridley Gregg will be pushing events, Sokolov, he's already 20, so you're going to want to see him sooner than later, a Abr Abramov is an another one, um, it just, if you're not putting guys up now, you know, when are we, we're delaying it and we're going to delay the crop further and further. And I don't know, I, I have some questions about, you know, the, the long-term plan, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how the lineup works out. That's for sure. Um, so I ranted for 15 minutes. Again, if you, if you have any thoughts on what I've said or anything like that, you can find me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff. Find the account at Last Word on Sends. Uh, listen to this anywhere you find your podcast. Uh, thank you everyone so much for listening. It's meant so much to me. Um, have a happy new year, and I hope you guys enjoy the Calgary Flames preview. Joining me now, he is the co-host of the Fourth Line podcast, or the Fourth Line Hockey podcast. I think you would probably find it uh, wherever, whatever you search, but it is the Fourth, yeah, the Fourth Line Hockey podcast. I'm not sure what it actually is on iTunes. I call it both. 
Um, I think either would call come up, but uh, joining me now is Carl Landra. Carl, thank you so much uh, for joining me today. Thanks. Glad, glad to be here. Um, so today we are going to be breaking down the Calgary Flames and their season, uh, the preview, you know, their off season, what happened last, uh, last season. Uh, I uh, admittedly, I sent out a tweet and I was like, uh, I, I was like, does anyone know who could talk flames with me? Because there were so few people I found just looking and um, I, t- I totally forgot that you were uh, from Calgary and makes you the perfect guy to come on um, because I always know you as the abs fan. <laughs> it is it is a unique place there's the amount of people that look at uh look at me as the abs guy or the flames guy depending on which one so um but glad to be here glad to be talking hockey in general glad that it's coming back and uh, excited to talk about this flames team which is uh it's gonna be an interesting year in calgary yeah it's super exciting that we just have hockey even around the corner i mean with the world juniors are on right now and it's been fun to watch that but even you know nhl preseason whatever they're doing for that or if they're doing much of that it's going to start in a matter of weeks you know like the nhl season's kicking off in under 14 days from now so it's really exciting stuff but uh yeah as you mentioned with calgary they're they're an interesting team because I think they would have been an interesting team in any year. And given the Canadian division, like most teams, it feels like uh, things just got so much more crazy for them this year. So um, we'll start just kind of with, you know, looking at them last season quickly. And uh, overall, I'd say they were maybe when you look at them at the end of the season, what it ended up as, it wasn't a disappointment. But I, I think if you ask a lot of the people in Calgary and especially the, the people who run their team, uh, it, last season was probably viewed as a bit of a disappointment for them, considering coming into the year, they were a team that you kind of thought maybe had uh, outside hopes of, you know, even a Stanley Cup run. Yeah, I, I think you, I mean, looking at that last season as a whole, there was so much that happened with that Flames team. Even thinking back to earlier in the season before the shutdown and the whole Jeff Ward situation, to even remember that he was the coach of that team and really was a huge piece of uh the whole narrative and and hopeful change in the the storyline of uh racial inclusion in hockey and some of that treatment so um to think that that was a storyline that dominated this team for a large portion of the year um sorry i said i said jeff ward bill peters was the coach that jeff ward taking over for him uh was you know a huge part of that as well as actually playing hockey so uh Disappointment wise, I do think that that team last year could have could have been better, you know, losing to the Stars in the first round of the playoffs. Stars went on the Stanley Cup finals. You can never be too disappointed when you finish when you lose to the team that makes that kind of a run. So uh, matchup being what it was, they they did well. But um, with what the players on that team and, and kind of some of the additions that they would made throughout the season, I, I kind of expected it to be that you know they played against a good stars team and they were honestly fairly competitive but just goaltending let them down and that led to what they did in the offseason yeah and, and that's fair and i think you know if you look at it as the season as a whole it's not the worst spot or it's not that surprising to see where they ended up it just feels like there were so many ups and downs as you mentioned off ice but even on ice with the rosters we're going to get into johnny Gaudreau in a second but just like there was guys who didn't play maybe as you expected and and there was guys who you know let them down or you know it felt like johnny Gaudreau's name was in the rumor mill every two days or whatever and from that point, it's like, okay, yeah, that seems like a disaster of a season, but they ended up finishing third in the 
division points wise. I believe it was third or fourth in um, points percentage. Maybe it was fourth points percentage wise. And uh, they end up beating the Jets, who uh, the Jets dealt with a bunch of injuries, went on to play the Stars. I thought they played pretty well against the Stars, as you mentioned. But at the end of the day, they lost to a good, a good team and went on a Stanley Cup final run. And I believe they had some in- bad injury luck in that round, too. So, um, you know, it's one of the seasons where it's like it's disappointing and at the same time still maybe right where you expected them. Um, and, and that obviously led to what they're doing this offseason where um, I don't know about you, but I, I like the offseason in I, I don't like the offseason from a long term standpoint. I think some of the contracts they signed have the potential to come back and bite them in the butt uh, long term. But for what this team needs right now, I really think that they were one of the most improved teams, at least in the Canadian division this offseason. Oh, absolutely. I, in getting Jacob Markstrom, they were able to pick up, to me, one of the biggest, most important pieces of this offseason. And because in getting a goaltender, especially this year, right? Like in this season where you are going to have, you have so many back-to-backs and a tight schedule, having a goaltender that you can rely on is going to be huge. Being able to have, you know, as well, that second goaltender is going to be huge too. So, you know, keeping David Riddick around, having Jacob Markstrom in there, taking over that main role. This is the first number, like bona fide number one that the Flames have had since Mika Kiprasov was the goaltender for this team. They have like gone into every year being like, we think this is the guy. And even just having that for the team to know, this is our guy. This is who we're relying on. This is who we're going to put our trust in. And he's going to be the one is huge, right? To not have to think and plan. especially if you think back to like the Mike Smith days in Calgary and how, I mean, the difference in play style that you have from Mike Smith to David Riddick, Cam Talbot, whoever is in net was big. And so being able to have that where you have kind of that solid goaltender, you know what you're going to be getting from him and you know what that is. Sure. Do I think that six by six was a little too much? Do I like handing out six-year contracts to 30-year-old goalies? No, I don't. But to get him, that's what it took. And I think for this team, where they're at in their uh, life, life cycle, let's say, I think that they needed to make that kind of a move. They had the ability to make that kind of a move, and it's going to be a big help for them for sure for the next three, four years. Yeah, I think you you hit the nail on the head there with their competing window. It's kind of open right now. And, um, you know, we can talk a little bit in a second about, you know, what, what they do in a year or two if this team doesn't work. But for this team right now, Markstrom is a huge impact. And i got to be honest, um, obviously, the, the, the term is the problem. It's six years for a 30-year-old goalie. Um, and, you know, that's going to hurt any team. But at the same time, like, Again, like I can't really blame them for going, especially because this is a lot cheaper of a deal than I thought Markstrom might sign. Like I was, I don't know you, but I was kind of expecting to see um, Markstrom sign like a seven and a half kind of deal by six years. Um, you know, and the fact that I know it's not a million, a million and a half isn't always a lot, but in a uh, year where the cap didn't rise at all, and you know, we saw a lot of teams really get burned by that. I thought that, you know, the extra little bit of a discount, maybe that's the reason why, but that extra little bit of a discount compared to what I thought uh, is going to be huge because what it allows them to do, at least this year, is keep Dave Riddich. And Dave Riddich isn't a starter, but he's still a pretty good NHL goalie. And I'm always of the um, opinion that if you give yourself as many chances with good NHL goalies as you can, that's the best way you're going to succeed because 
who knows? Like if Markstrom goes down for a part of this year or even the playoffs, yeah, you don't want Dave Riddich as your starter, but there's a lot worse backups to have. Um, it looks a lot worse when he was the starter last year, him and Cam Talbot kind of eyeing back and forth. But the fact that you now have a bona fide number one in Markstrom, but you also got him cheap enough that you can keep Dave Riddich as a solid backup option as well, I think bodes well for this team in net going uh, for this year at least. Absolutely. Right. And, and I think there's two factors I think that went into this Markstrom deal. For sure, the flat cap was the biggest one, right? That kept the dollar value down. And if you're looking to sign a guy to a long-term deal, this was an amazing offseason to do it, right? Because you're going to get that lower number. The competition was way less. And to be fair, Markstrom did have a market for him. Even like Vancouver went out and spent on goaltending after he left. They were in on him, right? There was other teams that were in on Jacob Markstrom. So it, it wasn't a situation where you get to the end of the offseason and you're in a Mike Hoffman situation where now you're signing a PTO to get into camp with the Blues, right? Like he had that opportunity. So it, it wasn't as depressed. But I also think you look at what happened in Florida last year after Bobrovsky signed his giant deal and how well that went for them. And I think that did make some teams a little more hesitant to go out and spend, you know, $10 million on a goaltender, realizing how much flexibility or range of possibilities you have in goaltending. It's something we've known for quite some time. And the more we get into uh, the data analysis of it, we see, like, it's maybe not the best idea to just put all that money into a goalie. So having, I mean, Markstrom's a good goalie. He's worth it for this year, for sure. I do think that if they had have gone up in that dollar amount, I would not have been shocked, especially on a shorter term. But um, I mean, it, it's it's good for the Flames. They need him in net and to not have to worry about with, can one of our goalies get hot is going to be huge. Yeah, for sure. And and the thing with goaltending, it always surprises me that NHL teams make the same mistake. And um, I think Markstrom is a tier below with the Bobrovsky uh um, thought was anyways, because Bobrovsky has been a perennial uh, Vesna cow caliber goalie. He's been amazing. So definitely he wasn't going to be in the 10 mil market, but it might've bumped him down from eight to six. And um, just as goaltending goes, I, I'm still waiting for another team in two or three years when whoever the next free agent goalie comes up, that's a big name. He'll probably get overpaid as well, just because that's what NHL teams do. But um, yeah, like it, it worked out perfectly for Calgary because um, it puts them in a spot this year where, I don't know. I feel like people are down on this roster and there are definitely some question marks, but generally speaking, I think they fixed the biggest issue in the off season. And I'm really excited. Like, I think this is to me the second best roster in the Canadian division. And I don't know if it's particularly close, but um, if you look at things like betting markets, like the betting market has them tied for 20th to win the cup right now. The fact that like Winnipeg and Ottawa have the exact same odds and Buffalo has better odds to win the cup. That kind of thing blows my mind because I don't think this team's that bad. I really like what they did in the offseason for a one-year standpoint. Um, we'll start, we'll just go from the back out, I guess. You know, we looked at their goaltending, their defense. This is the biggest question mark for me now. Um, you know, I think it's okay. I think it has the potential to be really good, too. I, I think losing Brody more than they, uh, and Brody for Tanev is going to hurt more than they think. I, I don't really think Chris Tanev is a great defenseman these days. I think you, if you know what he's going to give you as a four slash five, that's probably going to be okay. But at that price tag, I didn't really love the Tanev deal, but 
I think it's pretty clear with this decor that they're going to ask a couple of Noah Hannafin, Rasmus Anderson, Oliver Kylington, and Yusuf Alamaki, who are all in the ages of 22 to 24, to take a leap forward. And, and hopefully on the aggregate, they can kind of produce what they lose in uh, TJ Brody. Yeah, and I I was really when, – when thinking back to last season, uh, there were a number of players on this team that really didn't live up to expectations, right? But on defense, Mark Giordano still had a, a good year, but I was really impressed with Rasmus Anderson and what he was able to do for this Flames team last year and really showed to me that they could get by if they lost out on TJ Brody and he went somewhere else in the offseason. Now, I I think that, you know, as a 24-year-old defenseman, Rasmus Anderson can still even improve more. Um, but we've seen him start to take on that bigger role on the power play, and I would expect that to continue this year. So I, I think we'll see some time with him there. Um, and de- defensively, he's, he's become, you know, a very solid player. So uh, I think with him being there, and I, I, I would expect that they would probably put Tanev with Giordano and then Rat, Rasmus Anderson uh, on that second pairing. And who he's with, I'm not, not too sure if they've, if they've really settled on that yet. Um, you know, it, whether it's Valimaki, Hannafin, or Shillington, I think would be fine. For that bottom, the bottom of that decor, uh, there's you know some good some good depth there and I, I like the fact that they do have you know those six right there's not a lot of extra pieces that they have but that's a good bottom like of your defense when you have you know Noah Hannafin or Valimaki Yusuf Valimaki's done a great job coming in and getting settled in here uh, I believe spent some time over in Europe right now getting uh, was loaned over there during this these uh, delay to the season so being able to have someone coming in who's going to be a main contributor to your team is going to be great too. Yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, Valimaki's over in Liga right now and he's got 19 points in 19 games, two goals, 17 assists. So he's looked really good over there. And and that's encouraging as well. And just the fact that he's been able to get his feet underneath him, you know, he won't need the training camp to get back into playing shape because he's already there. Um, just from a number standpoint, I really think it would be interesting to see the Rasmus Anderson, Noah Hannafin pair, um, work together. Uh, the, you know, left hand or right hand D works there. Uh, as you mentioned, Anderson's put up some really good results in his own end. You know, when he's on the ice, the flames don't let up too much in terms of expected goals or four C four per 60. Um, on the other hand, Hannafin, not so great in his own end, but very good in the offensive end. You know, he's a guy who can transition the puck and will help you uh, create some scoring chances. So uh, those two together, maybe, you know, a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde, but uh, maybe you play Hannafin with um, Anderson and Anderson, you know, can be more responsible where Hannafin can let the puck go and, and contribute in both ends of the ice. And then that would give you a really solid top four because, um, as long as Giordano doesn't take a step back, which at age 37 is asking a bit, but we haven't seen it so far. So hopefully he can stay that Giordano has been someone to, who's been known to, you know, help prop his defensive numbers, uh, teammates, defensive numbers up. And if he can do that with Chris Tanov, you know, that's, that's a solid top four to have. And then obviously you have uh Valimaki and Kylington and Nesterov on your, you know, bottom pair there. And, you know, you hope that a couple of those guys can take a step forward and suddenly this decor doesn't look too bad. So, um, you know, that, that's probably their biggest question mark for me that I think is where they have the most, um, 
uh, area of concern just because uh, we haven't seen it from some of these guys. You know, they need to take a little bit of a step. But that being said, I think worst case scenario, this is still a slightly below average defense core group, not a just atrocious one like, you know, we've seen other teams have. So um, and then you focus up front and. Again, like I really like this team. I think it's pretty obvious Sean Monahan needs a, a good winger beside him to be a number one C, but I, I really think that in Kachuk and Goudreau, they have a couple of those. And uh, as you mentioned earlier, I wrote last week about why I think Johnny Goudreau is the key to the Flames' success. Uh, last year was his first legitimately poor season we've seen in a while. He didn't control play like we've we've been used to. He didn't score goals like we've been used to. Um the good news for Flames fans is we have about five years of data that suggests that's not who he is. He's an elite forward and we have one year of data that suggests he's maybe not that good. So I feel good hedging that he's going to bounce back this year. And uh, if he does, I think this team looks really good because they have a pretty good top six in Kachuk, Goudreau, Monaghan, Lindholm. Uh, I don't know who you put up there. Maybe Dylan Dubé uh, cracks there or Mangia Payne. And then the depth looks all right as well, because I really like the additions of Josh Levo. Uh, Dominic Simone, he's a pretty good depth guy. He's not going to score a lot, but he controls the, the rate of play when he's on the ice. Uh, Josh Levo's the same. He can, if he's the third best player on your line, you got a pretty good line because he can plug in wherever in the lineup and he's going to do great. So up to, you know, front and back, I, I don't mind this Flames forward core as maybe others seem to. Yeah, I, I think that this is one that is really going to be interesting this year. One thing that Jeff Ward had said going into the end of the season and, and kind of looking forward was seeing at center who he wanted to play. Obviously, Sean Monaghan is going to center that top line. Uh, Michael Backlund is going to center the second line. But then he expressed that the possibility of playing Elias Lindholm at center as well, which is not something we've seen a lot of most of the time since they've been there. And this seems to be like a thing that Calgary loves to do is to question who not, not like Calgary itself, but like Calgary media. And I think back to uh, like the, the days of Jerome Ginla. And I think of like, you know, finding that center for him to play with in this, in the same way that, you know, we see in, and again, not a direct comparison. I'm not I'm not comparing the two, but like we see it with Pittsburgh of like, well, who who are they going to play with Crosby? And they that that's a, becomes a big focus. Who's going to play with Monahan and Goudreau has become a huge thing. And they found one in Elias Lindholm. He holds his own. He can can be a big contributor to that line. And it's not one where they're pulling someone up to their level. He is competing and contributing and making that line better. I don't think that this Flames team is better off moving him to even, you know, move him to the second line and push Backlund down to the third line center or move Monaghan somewhere else, leave Monaghan a center, leave Backlund a center, leave Lindholm on that wing, and then get Sam Bennett in there, center in that third line. Because otherwise, I mean, Sam Bennett, again, has been one. Is he going to be a center? Is he going to be a wing? He, being a third line center, is the best opportunity for him to get those skills underway and to do that. And last year was, I mean, Sam Bennett is not what we expected him to be when he was drafted. But last year he proved that he can be a quality piece on a team in a role. And I think letting him and this team find that role and develop him into that is going to be good for this year. So I was actually, I was really impressed with him last year, not just because of his amazing mustache, but also because of the rest of what we saw on the ice. 
Yeah, he, especially in the playoffs, it, it felt like that line with, uh, I believe it was Kachuk, Bennett, and Lucic of, um, you know, not a line you expect to see together, but when they were out there together, they caused hell. Like, they uh, they banged and crashed, and they were one of the Flames' better lines when they were put together. And um, it, it's interesting because, you know, center is definitely one of the places where Calgary is uh, uh, pretty weak, um, just down the lineup, obviously. They just don't have a ton of depth because, as you mentioned, Literally, there's five centers listed on their cap-friendly page. Monaghan, Backlund, Lindholm is listed as one, and then Derek Ryan and Sam Bennett. So if you're taking Lindholm out of the equation, it seems like the only way to go there is Monaghan, Backlund, Bennett, Ryan. You know, one, one of those two in the bottom six, and that's okay. Um, you know, you just got to hope that injuries don't happen or whatnot. And, um, or, you know, you got to have... Uh, a backup plan for that. And they got, they got some guys in the minors who might be coming up eventually, but I don't know if they'll help this year at all. Um, but that being said, like, I think that Calgary is a team where they have such good wingers, especially uh, in the depth that, yeah, I don't know if you really need to worry about Sam Bennett being your third line center. Um, if he can be your third line center and, you know, the addition of talent, like if you play Mangia Payne and Josh Levo with him, I think he's going to be fine because those are two really strong wingers that have had some really good underlying results. And I think have the potential to take a step up um, going forward this year, if they just get the chance. So playing with someone like Sam Bennett might not be the worst thing in the world because yes, your strength isn't going to be center, but if you, if you surround him with two really good wingers, I think he's going to do all right. Same with Dylan Dubé or, even, you know, I, I know people like to laugh at the Milan Lucic contract. Yes, he's overpaid. Yes, and everything. But he got so overrated that I think he might be underrated now. Like, he's a fine third or fourth line player who's going to chip in, and he controls play when he's on the ice. Um, you know, he's not going to score at all, but he's not going to give up too much when he's on the ice either. So surrounding your center with solid wingers, especially in the depth, is going to be key for this team. Like you said, that the playoffs – last year and what we saw from example milan lucic right small sample size and not enough for you to like don't hang your hat on everything we saw there but with what he was able to do he was you know an actual contributing member to what was happening there he was he was playing certainly well enough and you're 100 right like he will be looked down on because of that contract but if he was on a different deal and at this point in time the flames have him they might as well they have to use him and finding the best way to get the most out of him he played well with sam bennett i think i think they'd like to see dylan dubé on that line just to get him some more time more so just because he is a longer term piece than josh levo is for them um so being able to, to get them there they worked well last year um and i would i would expect that to be a, a pretty good third line um, where the, the flames are okay sending them out there. Yeah, I would agree. And just to Lucic, I mean, it, it's something where I, I think we saw the best of Lucic in the playoffs last year, but uh, to believe that, you know, something like that, where without probably the goal scoring, I think the goal scoring is where he really benefited from having Kachuk on his line. And I think that's probably what they hope for Dubé eventually, that he can help with the goal scoring. But we have three years of data now that suggests that when Lucic is on the ice, good things happen in the defensive zone. He's an offensive black hole. If you're expecting him to produce anything offensively, you're going to be in for some trouble. But just in his own end, he's defensively, or his line has been defensively responsible in both Vancouver and Calgary. So if you send them out as a guy where it's like, yeah, they're probably not going to score, but they're not going to get scored on much either. That's a, 
a fine third line, you know, they, and then you hope that your first two lines can get it done offensively where they overpower the top two lines of the other team. And um, obviously you want all three of your lines to be outscoring, but uh, there's definitely worse ways to build your team. So it wouldn't shock me to see a Bennett, Lucic, Dubé line. And then the fourth line looks something like, man, Gia Payne, uh, Levo, and uh, I don't know who, Derek Ryan, I guess is probably Derek Ryan, yeah. And, yeah, that's that's not a bad fourth line either, you know? Like, I think that's a really skilled fourth line that has the potential that even if you only play them 12 minutes a night or whatever, has the potential to uh, hurt other teams' fourth lines that aren't maybe as deep. Yeah, well, and, and Mark Jankowski was a piece that they enjoyed using last year with him being gone and, and having, you know, the Josh Levos come in there. Um, definitely hurts them because he was able to fill some of that center gap Um that they, the flames had. So losing out on him and not really bringing anyone in um, to fill that hole definitely hurts. I was, I was surprised that they did not bring in another center, but if Sam Bennett can become that, if Derek Ryan is there as well, there's going to be some time with, with the schedule, the way that it is this year, there's going to be some, an increase in injuries. I expect, especially with, less training camp, a quick training camp, no preseason games, a jam-packed schedule. And that's without the possibility of COVID ripping through a dressing room, right? I think that this team is still going to need to use some of those pieces. There will be games and there will be times where Elias Lindholm does have to step in at center. And then they will have to find someone to go and go on that wing with uh, Giordano and Monaghan. And so I think this team is going to need to find who those extra pieces are, right? Whether it be, I know that they're big on, uh, you know, will it be Matthew Phillips who comes up and starts to, you know, have that opportunity. Um, They've, you know, looked at Jacob Pelche, probably not this year, um, but Emilio Pedersen, another piece that could possibly step up um, and, and, you know, get some time in that fourth, fourth line role. So, uh, I, I definitely not the roster itself. Those 12 guys is pretty set, but the 13th and beyond is one where I think we're going to see a lot of changing and a lot of, uh, adjustment as the year goes. Yeah. Their taxi squad is probably going to be one of the most interesting things to keep an eye on, which I don't know for a normal fan, maybe not the most exciting thing, but I think for, you know, hockey fans like us, it's definitely still something that is easy to talk about. And because as you mentioned, you know, Pellier is the one that I kind of thought, but at 19, I don't see him stepping in. Um, I think there's probably better ways to develop him this year, but uh, to me, they might be a prime guy, a prime team to, you know, offer a PTO or even a, a small contract to one of the few centers that are left on the market. There's not many, but it, maybe they bring back someone like Nick Shore on a one-year league minimum deal. And pretty much the agreement is you're going to be part of our taxi squad for this year, you know, like, and, and I think that kind of thing will wait until the season starts so they can see what they got for cap room and everything. Cause they're right up against the cap. They're not over it, but they don't really have space to be signing people right now either. But to me, they kind of feel like the prime prime team to sign, you know, like a, a Kyle Brodziak or a, even a Trevor Lewis, maybe if he's available for cheap enough to um, a real uh, cheap deal as, you know, a fifth centerman, because as you mentioned, I feel like it's, um, it's very risky if you don't have a backup plan going in for any of your centermen, because just on a normal year, the fact that one of them is going to get hurt seems pretty likely for even a stretch of games let alone in this year with so many back-to-back, so many three and four nights, it feels almost guaranteed that you're probably going to lose a centerman for 
at least a short amount of time. Yeah, absolutely. So it'll be, it'll be very interesting. I'm very, uh, I mean, I'm interested and excited to see what this team can do this year because um, I really like a lot of what they have. Uh, When Johnny Goudreau's going, he is so fun to watch. And I, I want that back. I want to be able to see him as much as, uh, as much as he had a down year last year, seeing what we saw, even in that, you know, short bit of playoff, right. He had some very, very good games and we saw what he could do. So doing that. Um, and then Matthew Kachuk will continue to improve and get better and become what I think will be the most hated player in the league this year. So especially he might become the Kachuk family might become the most hated family in all of Canada this year. So uh, it'll be a lot of fun to see uh, what he can do. And I'm sad that we don't get the Drew Doughty matchups, but he just has to find someone else to pick on to cause some drama. I'm sure he will do that too, because, and I tweeted this out as well, five other teams have to play one of the Kachuk brothers 19 or 20 times each. And that is going to be one hell of a year uh, for some of these teams, because, you know, you're playing every team nine to 10 times. So people are going to be sick of that family by the end of the year in this Canadian division. And I have no doubt with how many times he plays people that he is going to pick up a few more enemies this year, but it is so much fun to watch. Honestly, like Goudreau is one of the most just visually appealing players to watch. Kachuk's got to be one of my favorite in the entire league to watch just from the standpoint of, I don't know how, because you think after years of chirping for everyone growing up, you'd be used to every word in the book, but somehow Matthew Kachuk is one guy in the NHL that seems to just get under any team's skin. I don't know what, if it's just his smile or what he says or what he does, like, or just everything about it, but he is the one guy that is just the, the pest, but it's not just, he's a pest. He's really, really good at what he does. And he can put the puck in the back of the net as well, which just, it makes it almost worse when he's laughing at you for taking a penalty. <laughs> and then he goes out and bangs on home on the rebound on the power play. It's like, why did it have to be him? But that's, uh, that's the thing is I wish, I wish, I mean, I do not in, I, I appreciate what he brings, but I do not celebrate him him as a as a player. But it is just undeniable the fact that he is able to do it, and that's what's so frustrating. Is so often these pet like you can look around the league, and there's so many guys that are disliked for various reasons. But the fact that he can actually perform as well is unreal and very frustrating. And I wish it wasn't that. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, it's it just when you're playing him, it's the classic love to have him on your team, but man, when you're playing him, it sucks. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's a, if you're a neutral spectator, it's, it's a lot of fun to watch, you know, uh, when, if he's playing against your team eight times, yeah, you're probably going to hate him. And uh, the poor team that has to play him in the playoffs, probably if they make it too, I mean, you're going to be playing him 12 to 15 times in a year or something like that. And I think you'll be sick of him for, for more than the off season is going to bring. That's for sure. Um, But, you know, speaking of that, let's get to where we see this team being, because as, as I mentioned earlier, uh, I feel like I'm a lot higher just on the general public. I, I think that to me, this team, yes, they have their question marks, but overall they have less question marks than a lot of the teams in the Canadian division. And um, I have them right now pretty comfortably ranked as the second best team. And, uh, I think it's pretty close with a lot of the other teams. You know, like this this division is going to be so much fun to watch because uh, I really don't know who's going to even win it, honestly. Like, I, I think I have Toronto as the favorite, but it wouldn't shock me if Toronto doesn't win this division. You know, like it's not like they're head and tail or heads above everyone else. And 
Um, unlike other divisions, like, you know, the West division, Colorado should cruise to a playoff spot. There's not a good fourth team in that division. This division, there's six teams that could be legitimately good. Um, so where do you have Col- or Colorado? Where do you have Calgary finishing in this division? Well, for, for, for what it's worth, I have Colorado second in the West. But uh, in the North division, I would say I probably I would have Calgary in the second and third slot, some one of those two, I'm with you. I think Toronto's gonna finish on top of this division. And I think it it's gonna be, uh, you know, I would probably slot Ottawa in seventh. Sorry. Yep. Um, yep. I, I would Montreal. I'd, I'd probably put in sixth. But then from two to five is like a really tough thing to call, because I mean Winnipeg managed to outperform what they should have done last year with the defense that they had uh and very disappointed seeing you know Shifley out in the playoffs uh speaking of Matthew Kachuk um so will they come back Edmonton's improved in some significant ways this offseason I think I would probably I would have them second um, but we've seen so much from Edmonton and the problems we talked about with Calgary's goaltending just applies to Edmonton now. Uh, and so I would say that that's going to be a significant issue for them this year. Uh, Vancouver lost Jacob Markstrom, lost Tanev, lost, you know, had some, some major issues there. However, get another year. I mean, I'm not sure how much another year better Elias Pedersen can be but they have that right they have some very strong pieces to be excited about in vancouver so um and then calgary goes in there too so i think for me i would probably put them in at third in this division um but i would not be surprised if they finish second i wouldn't be surprised if they i would be surprised if they miss the playoffs but it wouldn't be i wouldn't be completely blown away yeah, I think for me, when I did my division preview of this whole division uh, with Chase, we kind of had Toronto's the number one, Edmonton and Calgary's two and three, and then Vancouver, Montreal, and Winnipeg is fighting for that fourth spot. And I go back and forth on Montreal so much because I think there is a legitimate chance they are a lot better this year, but I don't think it's for the reason that most people are crediting it to. Um, a lot of people look at what they brought in the offseason. I think Toffoli was a good addition. They brought in Allen and Edmondson. I think Allen will help, but how much? And, and people seem to forget that this was the 24th place team who was one point away from not even being in the return to play because Buffalo would have had a better points percentage than them. Um, but I, the way I think they could legitimately grow is if Suzuki and uh, Cockney both are what they showed they were in the bubble. If they can expand that over the whole year, they have three legitimate top two center or like top six centermen. And that's where I think that team could get really good. But I go back and forth because, again, like, I don't think Joel Edmondson is good at all. In fact, like, if they use him in their top four, I think they got actively worse on the defense end of things. But they also have Romanov coming in, and he's a bit of an X factor. So I I definitely go back and forth. And with Winnipeg, the thing that scares me is they got some of the best goaltending we've seen in years last year, and they still would have missed the playoffs over an 80, or they would have been right near the playoffs. If that goaltending even goes from a 930 to a 926, uh, I, I see them missing the playoffs unless their forwards can really rebound and play smart both ends of the way because their defense core didn't improve at all unless it's improving internally. And that's uh, a, a big enough bet to take, I think. But that being said, with all these guys, like all these teams have relative questions. And 
Um, I, I think one and seven are pretty clear to most people, but two to six, you know, and even one to think if you told me Matt Murray got hot for 30 games for Ottawa and they're in the playoff race, I wouldn't be the most surprised. Anything can happen in a 56 game season. You know, it's just more likely than not that Ottawa finishes in seventh and more likely than not than Toronto finishes in first, you know? Yeah. And I, I agree. The 56 game schedule is going to give us some weird experiences. When we think back to the lockout shortened 48 game season, right? There was a lot of teams that got hot at the right time or got off to a cold start and had a, an anomaly season. And I think this year is going to be even more anomaly than before. Uh, you could have a bad stretch of games, especially with the jam pack schedule. Let's say you have an injury and all of a sudden you're playing the senators, right? As the projected seven. Well, you ha- you're the jets and Connor Hellebuck's out for a week and you're playing the sense you, you might all of a sudden lose three out of four against Ottawa. And that's going to, that's going to set you back big time. So it's going to be a weird year. I'm really excited to see how all of these different pieces play out as we go through them, but it is going to be fun. Uh, I do think though, look like looking at those things you said, right? Like I, I still would say Montreal most likely I would slot them in at six, but they could go up for a lot of these teams. You know, Montreal has some new pieces. Like you said, Winnipeg just like held on to the pieces they had this offseason. They barely are coming back with essentially the same roster. And so we know what we're getting in Winnipeg, most likely. Edmonton brought in a you know some new pieces. The the biggest piece that stands out, Tyson Berry on defense. And and what we saw with him in Toronto wasn't that exciting. So can they learn from his usage in Toronto to adjust that to give him some more? Uh, some safer minutes and some safer opportunities there. Toronto, again, mostly know what they are, but we also don't super love what we've seen from them a lot. So Calgary being, again, more in that Winnipeg line of we know what we're getting here. Sure, they brought in one of the biggest, I would say probably the keyest offseason addition, but we also know what that is. And goaltending's one that... Uh, certainly he would have to have some adjustments, but you're not changing lines. You're not changing, you know, power play penalty kill units. You put him out there and he's good to go. So I think from that side, this will take the least amount of time for the team to adjust with the shortened preparation time. And so I think for the flames, being able to get going early and quickly is going to be huge. And so I think I would expect them to get off to a hot start. Yeah, for sure. And a hot start could be, you know, the make or break of your season. Because as you said, you know, we're seeing a lot of, you know, three or four games in a row against the same team. If you go into Toronto and Montreal, and I don't know the Flames schedule off by heart, but if they start their year and they win six out of the first seven, man, you just have to play already. You're getting close to having to play 500 hockey for the rest of the year. Like, as crazy as that sounds, but if you're taking half your points after, you know, you've played a fifth of your schedule, you're going to be fine. Um so I definitely agree with, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how rosters uh, mix with each other because, uh, as you said, like Toronto, they didn't make a ton of additions, but they did, like, they made a, enough, you know, like Joe Thornton's going to be here. They brought in um, Brody. They brought in Bogosian. Uh, they brought in Wayne Simmons. They, you know, they really rehauled their depth on forward and and brought in a couple pieces on the back end too. So, you know, even them, they, they will probably be a, a different team than we're used to seeing. And, 
Uh, as it goes with Edmonton, one of the reasons I'm a little less high on Edmonton than Calgary, I mean, obviously it's so hard to uh, guess against McDavid and Dreisaitl, but um, Clefbaum being out, I think, really hurts them. Uh, but that being said, I think that's why Barry was the perfect landing spot for them. Um, Tyson Barry should bring in what uh, they're going to miss from Clefbaum. He should be their power play one specialist. He's going to be asked to play a lot of offensive zone minutes. And that's how Tyson Barry should be used because I think that's kind of more how uh, Sheldon Keefe looked, uh, used him. And he looked way better under Sheldon Keefe than he did Mike Babcock last year. So if Edmonton learns from Toronto's mistakes, doesn't try to make him this defensive guy that he's never been in his career. I don't know why Babcock tried that. I mean, it's Mike Babcock who knows what he's thinking, but the, the fact that he even tried it should be enough to tell you it wasn't going to work. Um, so, yeah, as long as they plug him in in an offensive role, I think this is one of the better fits for Dyson Barry just because of what Clefbaum going down leaves as a whole in Edmonton. Well, and I've seen firsthand what Tyson Barry can do on a highly skilled power play unit. And when you can have a power play unit featuring a Connor McDavid with Tyson Barry running that point and able to get the puck around to him, can be dangerous for sure. So uh, that's going to be a big, big piece for them. Um, and yeah, I'm excited to see what that, what that's going to look like looking at. So I did pull up the flame schedule here. They're starting out. They actually have a, a slow start to the schedule and I haven't, haven't had a chance to dive into everyone. I assume that that's a, a unique thing, um, but they almost, they have four days off or five days off almost immediately. So uh, they're starting against Vancouver, then Toronto, Montreal, and then then they start getting into some of these bigger pieces. Uh, and so they're playing the Canucks uh, a bunch. So they play the Canucks four in a row in the middle of February, and that will be the key, right? You, they've played almost all of their games against the Canucks at that point in time. Um, can you take advantage of a Canucks team with some changes there, right? Braden Holtby and Nett, no Chris Tanev. Uh, there's another piece that they lost this off season and it's slipping my mind right now. Um, so Foley. being able to pardon uh, Tyler to I think is who you're thinking yes. of, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, try to take advantage of that Canucks team um, before they can get settled into the season. But um, you know, they do, they, they, they wait to play your senators a little bit. So that'll be uh be fun end of february they're uh, heading to ottawa which i guess that's really irrelevant of where the games are being played they're being <laughs> yeah. played and no one cares where yeah uh, theoretically there should be i would be surprised if there's fans in the stands anywhere in canada until everywhere can have fans in the stands you know but um yeah i don't like it it's one of those things where the five-day break is shocking i don't even know if ottawa has a five-day break in their schedule but um the, the thing with Calgary, and I, I know, uh, I think it was Mike Johnson on sport uh, TSN, sorry, mentioned it. He said, maybe it's a good thing for these teams that get to play Ottawa more later in the season, because if Ottawa is going to be as bad as we project them to, you know, it, it might not be as they're, you know, when the season starts, Ottawa is going to be a hungry team. They're going to want to go out and prove it. That being said, if they go out and lose eight of their first 12 games, they might not be so hungry by the time February rolls around. Right. Um, so, and who knows, but uh, yeah, it, it'll be an interesting way to see how things roll out this year. And I, again, like I make projections saying, I think Calgary is firmly second. If they went anywhere from second to fourth to first, and even, you know, if you told me Markstrom goes down for half the year and, and it was the most crucial stretch of their season, they missed playoffs by a couple points. It really wouldn't shock me. This division is super close, but that was the one thing. The last thing I really want to bring up is 
if you're the GM of this team and not even just what do you think the GM or the management group of this team is going to do if this season doesn't go as planned? Because there's been a lot of talk about shaking up the core and, you know, I don't know what they consider a successful season. I think, you know, maybe, maybe their view is second round or deeper this season. Maybe it's even a conference final um, because we know one, one Canadian team is going to be guaranteed into the conference final and only one team. Right. So um, I don't know what a successful season to them is, but let's say they do end up, you know, disappointing. They either come third or fourth in the division, losing round one, or they miss the playoffs completely. Do you think we see the core of this team get shaken up in the off season? And if so, how? I, I definitely think that that's a possibility, but just to to cycle back a quick second with this playoff format that they have this year, I think that this Flames team is as primed as anyone. I think if you make the playoffs in this division, you and that's how hockey playoffs typically work. But there is no favor for me. I mean, to get in there because none of them have really shown any playoff success at all with any of the rosters that they have. So for me. I think that we could see, I mean, honestly, like the Jets have had the most success in the playoffs with the roster and they might not even make the playoffs. So for those teams that we're looking at here, uh, I think if the Flames make the playoffs, they have a great shot at making it to the semifinals. Uh, the, I guess, do we call it the conference finals, the semifinals, whatever they're going to, I think they're going to the final four. Well, the final four, let's call it the final four. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's very likely, right? Like um, I I think if you look at like, let's say Edmonton, Calgary, Toronto, Montreal, let's just throw those four teams in there. I, again, I would slightly favor Toronto, but it would be so slightly because it's not like they have done anything in the postseason that makes you think, oh yeah, this is a team that is just a juggernaut. Like, you know, so it's definitely, I know that it's cliche to say win and anything can happen, but in a Canadian division this year, that is definitely true. Definitely more so than any other. So, but if this team does not reach those expectations, and I would say uh, that for sure, if they're not making the playoffs, big changes need to happen. Um, I think if they, if they went, make it to the second round, I think we can, they can probably safely say that that was considered a success. I think that's what this team would be looking at as a successful season. If not, you know, there has been talk all through last season, through this off season, in and out of Johnny Goudreau. He has, after this year, only one more year left on his deal. And so it really becomes, are we going to ship him out as a expiring contract and try to get some pieces back to build with? Because he is one that would net you a lot, right? First plus others uh, coming back for him. The rest of this court, I mean, the depth on this team is very flexible. You can move them out and rebuild the bottom half of this team overnight if you wanted to it comes down to that cap flexibility and what you can have and having this flat cap for the next few years i think is going to be really interesting to see where this takes us because contract wise this year saw a lot of very slow deals a lot of short-term deals and a lot of guys waiting to get paid in the future well when are they going to want to get paid is it going to be next year right Using, I mean, Taylor Hall as the ultimate example, right? One year, $7 million deal. He's going to want to get paid eventually, right? And we see, I would say more than any sport, hockey loves handing out length in contracts. And I'm not sure if that's just because of this, the cap structure or just culturally, that's what it is. But that's that's been a trend. So I think we'll see this team 
look for moving out, if, especially if, if they're not making the playoffs or if they have a very quick exit. I would say that this would be, uh, I mean, Giordano, Goudreau. Giordano likely, I would say, would retire at the end of this deal. Uh, he'll be 39 at that point in time. Um, and if that's what you're hanging your hats on as a 39-year-old defenseman to, to be leading your team, that's not the case. So they need to find someone else. And as much as I talked about Rasmus Anderson, I don't believe that he is going to be that number one defenseman. So they need to find that. How are they going to find that? Well, they're not going to find it in free agency, most likely. They need to draft and develop that player. And that needs to be happening, honestly, like last year, right? To be yeah. able to be bringing that guy up. So they need that piece. So if they're moving out a Goudreau, being able to get back a defenseman, sure, they'll be lacking that wing. But with Kachuk there, I think he can fill a void that Goudreau has. Or that, uh, yeah, Goudreau has. Goudreau and Giordano too similar to be talked about in the same conversation <laughs> by the way um so I, th- I think that that's the biggest thing that this team needs to do is they they have good enough defensive depth but they do not have a good enough defender to be able to hang their hat on and say this is our guy that can quarterback a power play a penalty kill even strength be able to do all of that they need to find some sort of piece for that as of right now there's not a lot that they can be looking for. Um, so I would be saying in a deal moving out a Goudreau, I'd be looking for something like that, that they can, can be bringing back in. Well, and yeah. And part of that too, is just, you know, obviously it's where we can find this high end talent. And if they move someone like Goudreau, you got to ask what, what the goal of this team is, because uh, you know, this core is getting older. Obviously Kachuk is young, 23, but you know, next year will be 24. Uh, Goudreau will be 28. Monaghan will be 27. As you mentioned, Giordano will be 38 next year. Backlund will be 32. Uh, even Lindholm will be 27. So um, I think a lot of the questions will be answered this year, because if you do get a couple guys to legitimately step up, maybe you're okay with Giordano taking a step back, but um you know, if the, if you're trading Johnny Goudreau, and even if you manage to get a stud defenseman prospect back for him, great. There's still a gaping hole up front about, you know, high end talent. And, and then you have to look, okay, is this a retool? Is this a rebuild? How long do we want to take? Where are we getting the talent from? And that's kind of what uh, concerns me about this team going forward. I think this year they should be good. I think if they want to take a, a shot and go again next year, they should be good. But in two years when Giordano, you know, and maybe he wants to keep playing, but when Giordano is theoretically taking a step back or even retires and you've got to figure out if you're paying Goudreau or not, you know, where is this team going? Because um, it could look a lot different in two years. And, you know, with no Goudreau, unless you just nail a trade for him, which is possible, we've seen it um, before, you know, but it's hard um, unless you nail a trade, you know, where is this team ceiling in terms of what they're going to do going forward? And that's something I'm, I'm curious to keep an eye on, um, throughout this year, because I, I don't think we really can answer it this year. You know, it all depends on what happens. Um, maybe they do get in the playoffs. Goudreau goes off, Kachuk goes off, and they make a run to the conference finals or hell, even the Stanley Cup finals. You know, like I don't think this is a team that, um, unless you know everything goes wrong, I think this is a team that's good enough to make a run as far as you can see, really, like given the division they're in. So, you know, if that's the case, maybe we're not asking about the core. Maybe we feel much better about the core in five months from now than we do now, or than some people seem to do now, but uh, it'll be interesting, you know, keep an eye on in, in the meantime, going forward. That's for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm very interested to see where this team goes as well. I mean, Jeff Ward was brought in on an interim basis last year. 
uh, was brought back for this season. Very interested. Uh, I thought that that was the best choice for them to keep him with the amount of rotation through the, the coaching that this team's had. Uh, so I thought that was the best choice, but especially if they're moving on from players, um, there's a, a lot of pieces coaching staff wise as well that could be moved out. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, especially for this year, I think, you know, we touched on, you touched on earlier about how um, having similarity with players can be key to start a season coaching, you know, 10 times that I think as well, right? Like I can't imagine how hard it could be for a coach this off season to try and get a new system through zoom going, you know, like it's just gonna, it's gonna be way harder than a normal off season. So having that familiarity with a coach who, who clearly saw some success with the team last year, you know, it's not like they were, they weren't bad by, under him by any means, you know, they played well. So uh, yeah, I think that's definitely key for the team and, and, their team, they're going to be exciting. You know, I think most of the teams in this division are going to be exciting, but um, just in terms of like future, we know where Toronto's going. Toronto's going to be staying their path. Vancouver's going to be staying their path. Edmonton's going to be staying their path. This Calgary team has a, a load of outcomes that um, are going to be coming this year. And so just watching them develop should be a, a ton of fun, along with the fact that they have a legitimately good team that should be uh, a lot of entertaining hockey to provide. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm excited to see it. And uh, what? Just a, just under two weeks until games. So let's go. I know we're almost here. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today. Plug some stuff. Where can fi- people find you and your work? Yeah, you can find us at the fourth line podcast.com over at, at fourth line podcast on Twitter. And you can find the show wherever you look for podcasts. The fourth line hockey podcast is where you'll find it under. Uh, you can find us over at full press radio and their app as well. Um, Lots of lots of stuff going to be happening this year. We have not. I think we no. We did not miss a single episode in the off season. And so if we're if we're making episodes in the middle of a COVIDy pandemic off season, you know we're going to be there all through the season. Nick and I've got some fun stuff planned for the year, and uh, it's going to be good. Yeah, I, again, I can credit uh, a ton of fun listening to the podcast, all the games and stuff that go on, and the writing at the site is really good too. So um, go check that out if you guys haven't already. Um, Carl, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, I'd love to get you on in the new year as well as we can discuss what uh, what's happening in the season. Absolutely. Always glad to chat, and uh, thanks for having me.